to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it's a Friday. I told you we had a lot coming this week into the week. And I've been scouring the webs for supplemental content to talk about. And I came back with a lot. I got a lot more than I need. Six things you love to see from the Dolphins this offseason. And if we have enough time, we'll get back into one of my favorite offseason segments, the recommendation station from around pop culture. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. So the annual league meetings, the owners meetings have wrapped and there was one big league item that came down from those meetings as the owners meet and talk about potential changes to the league each and every single year. And that's one thing I think you have to love about the NFL is the ability to put themselves under a microscope and make appropriate changes to impact the game and the way the fans want to see. And one thing they did based upon a very, very exciting playoff run this past January and into February for the Super Bowl. But also, in addition to the fun, we saw something happen that has happened a few times over the last, I don't know, half decade or so, where a great quarterback did not get to touch the football in overtime. So they will now change the postseason rule to this as follows. Still, if you score a safety on defense on the opening possession, you win the game. Cam Wake back in 2013 against the Bengals, same idea there, right? But also after each team has had an opportunity to possess the ball, if one team has more points than its opponent, then that team is the winner. If the team that possesses the ball first does not score on its initial possession, or if the score is tied after each team has had an opportunity to possess the ball, the team next scoring by any method shall be the winner. And if the score is tied at the end of a 15-minute overtime period, or if the second team's initial possession has not ended, another overtime period will begin and play will continue regardless of how many 15 periods necessary. Also, between each overtime period, there shall be a two-minute intermission, but there shall be no halftime intermission after the second period. And at the beginning of the third overtime period, the captain who lost the coin toss prior to the first overtime period shall have the choice of the two privileges in 4-2-2 unless the team that won the coin toss deferred. At the end of the first and third extra periods, the team must change goals in accordance with Rule 423. Those are the references, uh, references to the rule book there. Each team is entitled to three timeouts during a half. If there is an excess timeout, the usual rules shall apply. At the end of a second overtime period, timing rules shall apply as at the end of the first half. At the end of the fourth overtime period, timing rules should apply as it would at the end of the fourth period. So those are your rules, your takeaways from the owners' meetings. And again, I'm very excited for this show. I think most of all for the B Block, which in my, I guess, nearly a decade of experience in this field and industry, the the Malcolm Gladwell rule, right? 10,000 hours. But one of the first things I was taught in in this field, in in broadcast, was to play the hits. And so we're going to do exactly the opposite of that. But (laughs) I do it because I like this A Block content too. There's a reason for everything I do here on the podcast. But it's a little more mix mash where the B block is very coordinated and organized. I like to give you guys the how the sausage is made detail here. So that's kind of what I'm doing to set this all up. Maybe you do too. 
Do you? I don't know. So we start here. I wanted to spell it out like this because my brain was able to better process the value of the Tyreek Hill trade this way by using that same chart. We're going to use the Dolphins draft order for this year's draft to assign point values both for this year and next year since, well, since we don't know the draft order yet in 2023. And I think this makes the most sense. So using the JJ, the JJ, Jimmy Johnson trade value chart picks 29, 50, 121 this year, and then roughly picks 120 and 194 in 2023, the fourth and sixth round picks. What does it all add up to? 1,158 points, which equates to the 13th pick in the draft. The 13th pick is 11 or 1,150. The 12th pick is 1,200. So much closer to the 13th pick there. So I ask you this, if you had the 13th pick in the draft and you could get Tyreek Hill, a 28 year old Tyreek Hill for it, would you do it? I sure as hell would. I would do it at 10. I would do it at five, at three, probably even at number one. So you know what you're getting in Tyreek Hill. Someone responded to that tweet on Twitter about how you're getting, you know, a proven playmaker. And I said, yeah, a guy that you can, you know, defenses have to account for every single time you break the huddle and a guy that you can kind of construct an offense around with a Tyreek Hill. And of course, other pieces on this offense as well, but Hill, a big part of that. And I know I've been on this for, I mean, really months now, talking about that 29th pick this year and how the possibility of turning that pick into a veteran might be more attractive than sticking and picking in a draft class where the NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah said there's a real line of demarcation. Wow, two lines of demarcation references in one podcast, but there's a real line of demarcation right around pick 15. And if you remember the sen- the sentiment around the last two drafts, that they were some of the deepest and loaded up top classes in recent memory. You put yourself in position to load up in those classes, and I think it's safe to say that's what happened you know what this roster has and how much of that is drafted players in the last handful of years. And then with the picks in this class to then, as Jeff Darlington put it in our spaces show last week to catch lightning in a bottle and make an aggressive move to go out and get a Tyreek Hill. Because on this podcast, we had referenced all the trades that have occurred over the last, you know, five or six years of teams going out and getting those big time proven playmakers on offense or on defense, whether it's you know, the the Chiefs getting Orlando Brown last year or Frank Clark previously from the Seahawks and just loading up at the back end of that first round. And so many, I mean, Stephon, the the, the Stephon Diggs trade a couple of years ago, it happens every single year, right? We talked about that. And so the Dolphins are now the next team to kind of do that. And I mean, it's repetitive for me at this point, but my goodness, it was a masterclass stroke there to utilize the resources you have and maximize them in that way. Because what's the alternative? Clearly, the Dolphins felt they needed to upgrade at wide receiver and add to that room, right? That's how you wind up with Tyreek Hill. And this is another good receiver class, no doubt about that. But you're also probably going to see Drake London, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. There's other guys that are in that conversation as well. But you, there's a good chance you see all those guys go off the board before the 29th pick. Maybe more, maybe less, but probably in that range. So go get one of the league's most productive players in the history of of the NFL over his first 91 career games or stick and pick the fourth or fifth or sixth, seventh receiver off the board in the class. Seems pretty obvious to me. You just love to see it. Speaking of things you love to see, I want to talk about six things I love to see this offseason from your Miami Dolphins. That's next. Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield brought to you by AutoNation. 
We are back here on the Drive Time Podcast on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and we are presented by AutoNation. And in the open, I told you six things I love about the Dolphins offseason, but it's actually five because I actually covered one of those things in the prior segment, and I just now saw it here in my notes, and we're going to go ahead and forge on with the five things, which is what it was supposed to be, but then I couldn't get the all the information I wanted in five things. So I expanded it to six, but now we're back to five because I already covered one of the things. So let's go ahead and start off here with number one, how the Dolphins maximize their pass protection potential. Alliteration aside, that's number one of the five things you love to see from the Dolphins offseason. By now, you know about Armstead and Williams and the additions those guys provide to the Dolphins offensive line. And what I think about those moves and what they do for your offensive line, not just the two spots they occupy, but how they can have a snowball effect on all five spots and ultimately what it does for the depth of this line and the competitions we'll see across the unit in training camp. I went down the list of Teron Armstead's accomplishments on the podcast, on the website. Some of the lowest pressure rates the league has seen all the way back to his rookie year in 2013. We know Connor Williams' 13 QB pressure surrendered last year and overall pass blocking efficiency was third best among NFL guards. We know Robert Hunt played really damn well last season, most notably as the year went along. In fact, including just three QB pressures from Thanksgiving on, and none of those were QB hits. Zero sacks, zero hits, three hurries over the final six games for big Robert Hunt. And if you might recall back in 2020, his rookie season, he had a similar six-game spike at the right tackle position, and now he plays a new spot at right guard, and he's shown you bite at both of those positions with really strong finishes at the end of those respective seasons. We heard what Chris Greer said about Michael Dieter at the owners' meetings. Here's the quote: "Really developed Dieter really developed as a kind of as kind of a leader. He became much more vocal. Had an injury last year that was kind of a freak injury. Our doctors had said they hadn't really seen anything like it when they were kind of going through that with him once he got hurt. So he really hasn't played a ton of games at center still. The interesting thing about him is that every year in the off season we've had teams call multiple teams call and offer us picks for him. So he's thought of pretty well around the league still as a player. He knows there's some development or that he knows there's still I should say." a developmental window for him to go, but he'll have competition at that spot as well. Perfect. That's that's exactly what you want to hear. And again, coach and his staff have five months to figure out the best five, but man, that's four guys in the mix. Then you've got Austin Jackson, Liam Eikenberg, Robert Jones, Big Solly, a lot of guys that have played in this league, Solomon Kinley, by the way, a lot of guys that have played in this league, shown some bite, and are all young with presumably their best football ahead. So that's the first thing you love to see from the Dolphins this offseason. Number two is they've added a ton of speed. Vroom, vroom, baby. How fitting for the Miami Grand Prix coming up here next month. We're about a month away from that. Here's what Daniel Jeremiah said about speed back in April 2020. This is from Twitter. The theme of this draft, speed. Every team I talk to mentions the importance of getting faster. Teams like Kansas City and Baltimore are going to be an obstacle for a long time They need explosive plays and playmakers on both sides of the football. Then on March 23rd, just a couple weeks ago, when the reports came out that Tyreek Hill could be dealt, he said this, Tyreek Hill's speed is different than anyone else in the league. It changes how every team defends the Chiefs. He hasn't lost a step and he'll make an enormous immediate impact with Miami or with the Jets. He's with Miami. And how about what Jeremiah said about Jalen Waddell in the pre-draft process last year? Here's a quote from from him. 
GPS stuff is going to be big this year because we haven't had as much verified numbers and talking to some teams around the league, Waddle had the fastest GPS of any receiver in the country. Your eyes aren't deceiving you when you watch him. He's freaky fast. And then in Jeremiah's final top 50 big board for 2021, he wrote that Waddle is capable of having the same impact in the NFL as Tyreek Hill. How about that? And then you might recall on draft night, him saying that a lot of the fast guys he sees come out of the draft at the receiver position get compared to Tyreek Hill because that's the standard, right? And DJ says, don't always agree with that. But if there's one guy you could put in that same boat as far as speed goes, it's Jalen Waddle. Remember what he told me on the conference call I've referenced here about 47 times already last month, two months ago, that he would build a track team around Tua to help accentuate the quick release and short to intermediate accuracy in his game. Well, the numbers here don't lie. How about the average miles per hour with the football in their hands among qualifying players in 2021? Number one in the NFL, Tyreek Hill, Miami Dolphin now, 15.38 miles per hour on average. Number two is Debo Samuel at 15.24. Number three is Jalen Waddle, 14.48. I mean, speed, 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 baby. My buddy Kyle Krabs, you all know him, host of the very good Locked On Dolphins podcast. He shared with me a stat about touches that produced a 20 mile per hour top speed since 2018. There's, there's, for Tyreek Hill, there's 45 of them since 2018. 45 touches where he maxed out at a top speed better than 20 miles per hour. The next highest was Saquon Barkley with 17. 45 and 17, that's more than double second place. The Niners were a top yard-after-catch team on balance in Mike McDaniel's five years there. They had three guys last year who were top 10 average yak at their uh, across the entire league with Kittle, Samuel, and Ayuk. The perimeter screen game was a big part of that offense. The run game was a big part of that offense. And throwing off play action, a huge part of the offense. And we talked about this on Wednesday or Monday. Two was 116 passer rating off play action last year. And Next Gen had this also great stat. Of the top 20 fastest plays over the last two seasons, Dolphins players own five of those top 20 spots. They own number one, two, five, seven, and 19. Mostert owns one and two. Tyreek Hill owns five and 19. And Jalen Waddle owns number seven. So, what is that? 25% of that list is Miami Dolphins players, and there's 32 teams. Not bad. And then also Dan Orlovsky, before the Dolphins added the left tackle with the fastest ever combine 40 time, and before dropping Tyreek Hill into the frame, said this on Twitter. Two teams, I think, had a really nice under-the-radar free agency period so far. Number one, Miami. Their speed on offense has drastically improved. So that's number two thing you love to see, the improvement of the speed on your offense. Number three is putting in place a staff that has garnered attention to attract these big time players and players in general. We mentioned the blue chip thought in the first segment, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill, six Pro Bowls, three All Pros. Teron Armstead, three Pro Bowls and All Pros. I mean, that's blue chip players. The proven resume of a guy like Raheem Mostert in this system, Chase Edmonds, and the production and the upside and the continued upward trajectory of that production he's had through four years. You got to love that. Cedric Wilson, the stats we talked about earlier with him having the most third or fourth down conversions for anybody in the Cowboys last year in that loaded offense. And what did all these guys that I had on the drive time say about Mike McDaniel, an offensive guru, a brilliant mind, a genius? You start to run out of the superlatives and I appreciate the guys for all giving me a different one 
And Chase Edmonds saying, people I trust in the league vouching for not just coach's system and offensive design and catering to his player skills, but the way he approaches people and relationships and the staff that he's hired has done the same thing as well. So we heard players at the Combine raving about meeting with Miami and their football conversations. The players that came here in free agency talked about it being a big drawing factor. Then we got this over the past week at the owners meetings from Kyle Shanahan. You guys know who he is. Mike's been doing it for a long time. I've been together with Mike for a while. He's been in a number of different buildings and a number of different situations. He's been around me enough to see a lot of the things that happened on the head coach role. And Mike's always been right by my side in a lot of stuff, whether he's working with John Lynch or with me, he knows football. That's the most important thing. When you know football, you're more ready to hire the right coaches. You know other guys and how they're supposed to do their job. It allows you to lead the team the right way, end quote. How about Sean McVay? Quote, it's going to be scary when asked about the Dolphins offense. Mike and I go way back working together in Washington. He's obviously been around one of the best in Kyle Shanahan for a handful of years. He's going to do a great job putting players in position to succeed. They're going to be explosive. It's going to be a lot of fireworks. They're going to be fun to watch. End quote. So there you go. That's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good quotes there from players and coaches around the league about this coaching staff. And the proof is in the pudding with the additions they've made and the guys they've attracted here to Miami. Number four thing you love to see, empowering Tua Tungavailoa. You know, I watched some older games over the last couple of weeks. I'm just cranking out film right now because I'm so jacked and ready for the season to start. It's a long ways off. But just watching Tua and the things that, you know, I fell in love with his game as a college prospect, you continue to see that as he gets deeper and deeper into his pro career. And just the mechanics and how he's, when he can step up, drive up and get the mechanics all aligned, how some of those balls just... You know, the the second level layer throws that he has to kind of get over the top of the linebacker and dump that thing in underneath the safety, whether it's Mike Gasicki running a crossing route or Jalen Waddell coming back down the stem on a stick, whatever the case may be, the way he can recognize the leverage and throw away from that leverage to put the ball placement in the best position for his receiver to either maximize rack or yak or to maximize their chance to make a catch contested. He does those things so well. And, you know, JT O'Sullivan does the quarterback school on YouTube, but a lot of good content there. And he loves Tua's game. There was a great clip of him last year against the Cardinals where, again, Gasicki was on a crossing route and the linebacker was trying to cover Gasicki with his back to the to Tua and Tua threw the ball right behind the ear hole because O'Sullivan said that what he was coached to do is if that back is turned, he can only defend the width of his shoulder pads. And so Tua can throw around that knowing that he might be covered in a sense, but because he's not looking, I know where the ball can go so that it can get to an open receiver. And then again, there was a throw against Jacksonville last year, the same exact thing where it's Gasicki again on a crossing route, and he puts it up over the linebacker who just cannot get the depth to this position. It's it's that type of knowledge and accuracy with the football that makes me so excited about what he can achieve in this offense. And this offense should create a lot of situations that cater towards a well-designed run game and screen game because of the pressure the speed puts on the top end of the defense. Well, we know the Niners and their yak numbers and throwing the football behind the line of scrimmage last season. We know Patrick Mahomes threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage more than anybody else in football last year per next gen. Not a bad idea when you have speed like Hill, like Hardman, like Robinson, and a crew they have there in KC. And we saw Tua in college with the kind of track team that Daniel Jeremiah has talked about and the downfield handoff, my favorite play in football. It's you know a well-thrown deep ball. He was able to execute that on regu- with regularity to Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. We saw him have multiple games last year with 80 plus percent completion. We saw him have multiple game runs with 100 plus passer ratings. And a lot of that was accomplished through doing the same things that I think this current roster should conceivably really excel with. 
the ability to threaten every blade of the grass with motion, horizontal, vertical attacking, the ability to create separation early in the down. You now have three receivers who ranked in the top 25 last year in terms of separation created with Waddle, Hill, and Cedric Wilson. But what the run game can do for him too. We talked about this on Wednesday, or maybe it was Monday. Again, 116 passer rating last year on play action. There's a clip of him out there throwing off of play action pass. And man, there are some impressive, impressive looking whips of the football. Just quick trigger shots that he puts in the breadbasket. And I also think about improved pass pro and how that can create more confidence, which I think can help eliminate one thing we talked about last year a little bit on the Tuesday All-22 Review podcast, when the pocket would kind of break down and some throws from the unbalanced or the not set platform on the move and some of the trouble that brought last season. I think everything the Dolphins did cannot just accentuate what Tua does well, but instill a level of confidence that is so paramount for that position. And then again, the power of hopefully an improved running game. Dolphins 31st a year ago in rushing, but despite that, Tua's third down conversion rate was fifth among qualifying quarterbacks. Stafford, Mahomes, Herbert, and Burrow were higher, and he was also eighth in percentage of his third down throws beyond the sticks. And a lot of those 10, 11, 12 play drives, go back and look at them. There's a lot of third and six plush conversions through the air. Big time plays from Tua Tungabailoa. And to put a bow on this point, just the surrounding talent surrounding of talent around him coach talked about it and now they've done it I mean look at what other clubs have done with their young quarterbacks and it's almost shot for shot replication of what happens with said quarterbacks and their team's commitment to giving that player all the support they need last year the Chargers with Slater and Lindsley for the offensive line for Herbert while already having Keenan Allen and Mike Williams the Bengals with Jamar Chase and T Higgins the year before that now they sign Lyle Collins and Alex Kappa we get to see the Jets go after Corey Davis and Elijah Moore last year and Elijah Vera Tucker. We've seen them this year with uh, involved in the Tyreek Hill discussion. How about Jacksonville, what they've done for Trevor Lawrence this year? It's what teams want to do for their young quarterbacks, and Miami is knocking it out of the park and doing so with Waddle, with Hill, with Armstead, with Williams, drafting the linemen around him the last couple of years, retaining Gasicki, and so much more. Speaking of retaining, that's point number five, maintaining a defense that has performed so well over the last two seasons, the points allowed stats, the third down defense, the sack production, the takeaways, and the emphasis on all those things. And now a defense that still has Wilkins, Sealer, Davis, Butler, Ogba, Van Ginkle, Phillips, Baker, Roberts, Riley, Aguavin, Howard, Jones, Needham, Holland, Jones, Rowe, everyone, it's, it's almost everyone is just about back. And then you factor in the growth you hope you get from Holland in year two, Phillips in year two, Brandon Jones in year three, everyone essentially, but ultimately those young players coming off their first or second season who you can expect growth at that stage of their career. So you love to see it, all five of those things. All right, short break here. We'll put a bow on it on the other side of the podcast here. Drive Time, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Back here on the Friday edition of the Drive Time podcast. Want to go ahead and put a bow on this real quickly, but before I do that, I had a chance to watch some shows and some sports since we last did this a couple months ago. And it's recommendation station time. And my number one recommendation right now is Apple TV's show Severance. Have you guys seen this? I'm going to spoil it here a little bit. I'm on episode eight. It comes out today, tonight. I'll watch that tonight for sure. And then episode nine next week will be the season finale. And I hear they're talking about a second season. But the ending of episode seven just blew my mind. That's the end of the spoiler right there. And then I also wanted to make sure to talk about Tramel Tillman. If you haven't seen this show, watch it again. Or if you have seen it, watch it again. 
and just pay close attention to his reactions and facial expressions. One thing I actually have heard about acting that I, I don't know, I'm not, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was that it's not about how you act, but rather how you react. And this man is elite in that regard. Got me wanting to check out all of his other work. He's he's terrifying in the show, but also like calming at the same time. It's it's fascinating. And then Adam Scott is as great as he always is. I love that guy. But man, he looks old and that makes me feel old because he is, after all, the one they call Derek and the one that Dale so bravely stood up to in Stepblurs back in 2006. The It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. Rewatching the show because of the podcast and hearing how they talk about how they shot it, how they thought about the impact of their, their actions or how much they wanted to make these characters horrible, it makes it so great. So I, I love, love that podcast. USMNT. The United States men's national team is World Cup bound. That's great news. Uh, last time, the World Cup sucked without the United States. That was horrible. I'm glad they're back. And then also the Miami Heat. I've gone through some swings with the Heat the last couple of weeks. I wasn't going to watch them on Monday against the Kings, but I turned it on anyway, watch them blow the Kings out. And then I wound up streaming the Celtics and Raptors game who went to overtime because if Boston lost, Miami got back into the one seed. So they pulled me right back in. I have not seen the results of the Wednesday Boston-Miami game because I recorded this on a Wednesday evening for you guys. But we'll see how that turns out. I hope the Heat won because then we got the one seed pretty much on lock. Last thing I want to recommend is a restaurant. I want to start doing this more for you guys here in the South Florida area. Otaco. It's called Otaco in Pembroke Pines, right on the Davy on the Davy uh, border there, right by a restaurant called Sushi Saki in the same complex. Check it out. They have excellent burritos and Peruvian rice and, and some or, uh, or cilantro rice and Peruvian food. Excellent, excellent stuff. A taco in Pembroke Pines. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast. Check out our Spaces show that went up on Wednesday. You can also check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and all the free agent interviews on Drive Time. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, Daddy's coming home.